Hello and welcome to The Word is Out, a mission-centric podcast featuring Dr. Alan Meenan, pastor and preacher and teacher of God's Word for over 40 years, and now the founder and faithful leader of a missions organization that reaches out to the world with the Word of God. Alan, today we take a brief detour from our exploration of the scriptures to discuss the how-to of understanding the Word of God, and welcome a very special guest, Joy Ireland, to the program. Joy is a very special guest. I mean, I knew that I was going to like her the moment that I learned that her last name was Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) And I've known her for several years now, and um, she's really an outstanding young woman. She graduated from Seattle Pacific University. She's a, a native of California, lives in Kentucky, graduated from Seattle Pacific, magna cum laude, and and subsequently has received her master's degree from Asbury Theological Seminary and her doctor of ministry degree from, recently from Asbury Seminary, and functions as an adjunct uh, both at the university and at the seminary. Has published several articles with Light and Life magazine, and uh, we are delighted uh, she's with us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, if you've been following our podcasts, then you know that we favor the inductive Bible study method. And we have a wonderful earlier podcast with Dr. David Bauer, a longtime professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, that speaks to that methodology. On this podcast, though, we'd like to explore the inductive approach from a more lay perspective. Does it really make that big of a difference? How can I and why should I read the Bible inductively? Joy and I have a common friend in Dr. Bauer, and Joy has been uh, honored with uh, several awards in inductive study. So um, listening to her perspective is going to be fascinating. Yeah, I think so. Joy, let's begin at the beginning. How were you introduced to the inductive Bible study method? Well, um, I just happened to register for Dr. Bauer's IBS course on the book of Matthew. I was pleasantly surprised and grateful that I chose an IBS class in that first semester. And when all was said and done, uh, graduation came around, I had taken seven hmm. courses from uh, Dr. Bauer. So yes, that was a, it was a wonderful introduction. Well, why did you take so many IBS courses during your time in seminary? Well, I, I fell in love a bit. <laughs> I got I got bit by what uh, other seminarians called the IBS bug. <laughs> um, I, I appreciated so much uh, the process of biblical discovery. It was so empowering as Dr. Bauer continued to kind of help to unveil uh, things regarding the Bible and the using the methodology itself. I mean, I I genuinely loved doing my assignments. It, it, it was crazy. It was just contagious. The Bible came to life um, and came alive in new ways. I mean, not, I knew I could study the Bible. I mean, obviously I was in seminary. <laughs> I knew I knew I could study the Bible, but there were certain things that I thought you also needed to be, you know, have the right commentary in order to answer particular questions, or you needed to have the right Christian self-help book, or or maybe the rare occasion that God would give you a divine two by four over the head, and then it would all make sense, you know? And I just discovered that that wasn't true. We have a God who wants to be known, and uh, the inductive Bible study method uh, really reinvigorated that reality for me. It's kind of interesting that your experience, Joy, has been echoed in so many lives. IBS, basically, inductive study, uh, came out of the Union Seminary in New York, and one of the chief proponents of it was Robert Trina, 
who was uh, my mentor uh, back in the day, and also David Bauer's mentor back in the day. And and when we sat under Trena's teaching and, and explanation of IBS methodology, I mean, it was transformational. It wasn't just a Bible study. It was like we had never, ever seen the message of the Bible before. I mean, it, it opened mm-hmm. new vistas. It opened new panoramas. It was just an amazing transformative experience that uh, that when people today continue to get involved in this kind of approach, basic approach to studying Scripture, it is truly, it changes the course of how we see Scripture, how we see the message of the Bible. It's amazing. And um, mm-hmm. obviously, that's been your experience as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Alan, did she really need to take seven courses, though, to understand? I wish I had. You... I wish I had taken seven courses, but <laughs> seven is a good biblical number, isn't it? Perfect number. Perfect number. There you go. <laughs> but is it really that complicated, the IBS method? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't call IBS complicated. I would say, you know, it's methodical. Um, it's disciplined, but definitely not uh, complicated. No. Um, those who know me know that I'm very much what you might call a practical theologian. So. The so what question is a really big deal to me. You're learning all these things, church history or whatnot, and I want to be able to ask, so what about that that I've learned? And what was great and a main reason why I took so many classes was because I just wanted to have more time (laughs) to be able to unpack those final stages of the methodology itself. I I didn't so much want to master the methodology. I, I wanted to have more time under the tutelage of Dr. Bauer to be able to sharpen those kind of skills in the latter aspects of um, of the methodology. Another thing that really was important is, you know, I'm sure people out there have heard there are different genres in the Bible, poetry, narrative, these, these kind of things. So being able to study different aspects of the Bible, uh, the history, the gospels, looking at different genres and applying the methodology to those different genres was also quite a blessing. And one of the things that kind of attracted me to continue to study and to, to take more classes. You know, in fact, I would even maybe want to say that it is an easier way of studying the Bible than often is the case. You know, basically what we're doing is we're accepting the Bible as it is, and, mm-hmm. and we're we're letting the Bible speak to us. We're not imposing upon the Bible a, a, a message or a particular bias. All too often in, in biblical studies, especially at the higher levels of biblical studies in universities and seminaries, there tends to be you know the higher critical methodology, the lower critical methodology, the canonical critical methodology, and so forth and so on. And each of them tends to dissect the text and basically, you know, begins with an a priori understanding of how the text came into being. What we are trying to do in IBS is to understand that we need to study the Bible in its final form. And that's the important thing, in its final form. Now, how it got there is, of course, an intriguing question. And, and I, we would be open to all kinds of ideas and theories. But basically, the Bible in its final form was put together either by an author or by redactors or editors, whatever you want to call them. Somebody put it together as a document of faith, by people of faith, for people of faith, in faith. And so as a people of faith, we understand it in its final form. That's the beauty, I think, of IBS. When you get into the deep theology, that's where I, as a lay person, are just, I'm just, I'm out, so to speak. Um, and, and I think that probably is the case for a lot of people. Alan, I've seen you and 
and uh, David Bauer go at it and have these, these discussions. And, and I just like shake my head because it's, it's fascinating for you guys to talk about it, but I'm lost. And so let's talk about a couple of examples, maybe, of types of questions um, that you were finding answers to. Well, yeah, I, uh, the first thing that came to my mind, <laughs> I think to the very, very first interpretation assignment I was ever given in that, in that Matthew class, um, we were asked to complete an interpretation. And the question was this, uh, what is meant by Jesus's statement in chapter five, verse 48a, you must be perfect as I am perfect. Now that's a big question. <laughs> that's a mm-hmm. that's a really weighty question. Um, but to tell you the truth, the, the weightiness of the question was not what caught my attention. Uh, for me, uh, what caught my attention was that it was so intimately linked with my favorite book of the Bible, which happens to be the book of Leviticus. I know that's not usually the answer to that question. What is your favorite book of the Bible? Um, but Leviticus has been my favorite book of the Bible since I was about 13 years old. And uh, even back then, um, it really touched me deeply uh, as I read it. Um, I always thought there was something strange it, about you, Joy. I guess, <laughs> I guess I've not discovered what it is. <laughs> I think you must be the only person in the world that would have Leviticus as a favorite book in the Bible. Amazing. Come on, come on. We just did a podcast on that. So. It's a great book. It's yeah. a great book. The reason why it's been my favorite book is the impression that it made as when I was an early teen. And it communicated to me that holiness of life matters. Now, I wasn't doing the inductive Bible study method on it back then, of course. But that idea of holiness of life come, really came through. And that reality that God really deeply desires for holiness to infiltrate every aspect of your life. Um, it just caught my attention and it made a lasting impact. So in being asked the question, um, you know, you must be perfect. What does that mean? You must be perfect as I am perfect um, in Jesus's command. I was just, I was getting a chance to delve into that foundational doctrine of holiness that had made such an impact on me, but I was diving into it from a new Testament vantage point, which I had never done before. So that process was very invigorating and extremely enlightening, and I was hooked. That's great. Uh, so actually, you're more studied in this than Alan than you are, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I when I was at seminary, the classes I went to, as I remember, I did the Pentateuch. That's five books, of course. And I did uh, Mark, and I did Romans. But since then, of course, I've covered the other uh, 58. <laughs> Fair enough. And then, uh, so why do you consider uh, the inductive Bible study to be so empowering, Joy? Well, hands down, it's the ability to, stru- to study scripture in a way that you become a dialogue partner uh, with scholars who write the Bible commentaries. And at the time, I just thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, aren't you supposed to go to the commentaries to find out what these what the hard things mean? And uh I, I just didn't understand how I was going to be able to do that in a 15-week semester. <laughs> how, how does that happen? But as you might imagine, it did happen. And you know, Dr. Bauer always stressed the reality that uh, consulting commentaries always had to be like the, you know, the final piece of your study, mm-hmm. because if you if you start there, um, obviously it's it's going to inform or maybe even bias uh, your discoveries. And everything. And so I, I followed his instructions. And what I discovered was I could measure the scriptural truth I was mining against the claims and the teachings of these commentators. Um, so much so that 
when all of a sudden done, I'm sitting there reading their stuff going, well, I wonder why that writer didn't pick up on this. It was so blatant to me. <laughs> or how did, you know, she miss that detail or, or I missed that detail. Why, why was that the case? And so it was just a really empowering experience. It seems to me that that's the way we should be able to just read the Bible. We shouldn't need to look at commentaries in order to understand the Bible. The Bible should be able to speak to us by itself or on its own. I feel like the Bible speaks to me afresh every time I read it. I think that's mm-hmm. profoundly true. I mean, I mean, at the very heart and core, this is God's word to humankind. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not as complicated often as we make it. Um, you know, the old rabbis used to talk in terms of understanding the peshat of the text. What they meant by peshat was simply the unadulterated, basic, plain meaning of the text. And that's one of the great contributions of inductive Bible study. But, you know, having said that, we are part of an ongoing understanding of Scripture. I remember when I studied at Yale with uh, the great Old Testament scholar Brevard Childs. I remember one day Brevard said to me, we climb on the top of those who have gone before, and we look at things through their eyes. And that gives us greater understanding of what we have come to believe and understand. So what he was saying, I think, was that we're part of 2,000 years of, of Christian history in which people have made contributions in understanding. We're not part of the Enlightenment, so to speak, that all of a sudden, you know, anything that's gone before is, is of little value and that we are the ones who've discovered everything anew. But, you know, while that's an important part of what we do, I think also leaning on those or looking through the eyes of those who've gone before is a great contribution to our understanding. So it isn't mm-hmm. it isn't one thing as opposed to the other. I think right. I think that's what Joy is saying. And I think that's what you know what, what David Bauer would also indicate that we do the work ourselves. We do the hard work. We don't cheat and go running to a commentary first and foremost. Mm-hmm. We do the hard work ourselves, and then when we come to our conclusions, we 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 dialogue with those who've gone before, iron sharpens iron, so to speak. Well, Joy, how have you utilized the inductive Bible study approach since you completed seminary, or, or was it really just an academic practice for you there? Uh, well, it began as an academic practice, <laughs> but for me, my IBS assignments were interwoven. I mean, they became interwoven into my devotional life. The types of questions and the ways in which we were um, empowered to sit there and let the Bible speak and inform, um, it, it very much came a devotional practice for me. And, um, you know, I would sit on my bed. I had a particular way that I would sit. I had my Bibles open in front of me, usually multiple versions. I had my notebook in my lap, kind of the assignment before me, but I was totally expectant that the Holy Spirit was going to show up. And so the line for me between academic endeavor and personal spiritual growth uh, that separating of class time and, and devotional time became indistinguishable. I, and it just felt like that was how it's supposed to be. That That's the way you should be feeling when you're truly studying the scriptures. But since completing seminary, aspects of the IBS have been consistently integrated into my practice of sermon preparation and delivery, as well as you know teaching opportunities. I also typically follow a very inductive approach anytime I engage in a biblical word study. I've done some significant word studies over my career, um, some initiated by experiences I've had, some initiated by experiences my students have had. And um, the inductive Bible study method definitely falls into that category. An example of some of those have been like a Sabbath word study, which actually led me up all the way up to my dissertation. 
a study on the word church, study on the word altar, these kind of things. So inductive Bible study, just the methodology tends to be my go-to when it comes to some of the more difficult questions that I'm asking or um, my students have asked me. It's kind of my first source of inspiration when I want to dive into those complex issues or if I want to journey with students who are asking life questions. Well, let's talk about a life question. Take, take one and dissect it for us or take us through the process, if you would. Yeah, well, when I was in seminary, I had an experience where I was attending a church that was very unhealthy, we'll say. And instead of choosing to kind of brood and commiserate, you know, talk about this stuff, what I found myself doing on Sunday afternoons when I'd get home is diving into this word study on the word church. Because word usage and scriptural testimony, as they call it in inductive Bible study, that's a a key aspect of the methodology. And so, again, instead of complaining, brooding, um, commiserating with others, I had a journal. And I I believe I used an online like BibleGateway.com or something. And I put in church and I found all the different occurrences of the word church in the Bible. And I dove into a lengthy study. What does the word church mean? in the scriptures and discovered through that, uh, that church will really was two things. One, it was the kind of place where people came together for corporate worship, but it was also, um, the body, the people of God, <laughs> the church walks around, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. stay in one place. And that discovery empowered some decisions that I made in regards to service and transitioning to different places and actually ended up putting me back on the path that the Lord had placed me on when I first started seminary and led ultimately to finding the church I was supposed to be in and then eventually getting ordained. I mean, that was a huge life experience instigated by what does God have to say about what the definition of church is? And I took, I took my concerns there before I took it to, to people or trying to just get other people's opinions about things. So much easier nowadays with places like BibleGateway.com and others. Uh, Alan, you had to do it the old-fashioned way, uh, looking through the every page, right? Uh, way back when. Indeed, indeed, that was the case. Yeah, lots and lots of concordances in my bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, you had to look through everything because, and you had also you had one for every different translation, you know, yeah. because words were different. So you know, and you had exhaustive concordances and analytical concordances and all kinds of stuff. That yeah, yeah. It's easier today. Alan, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have an example that maybe you'd like to share? I mean, a, a word study sounds great and very interesting. What might be an inductive approach uh, that they might use? Wow, you hit me with, uh, that's kind of, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I was a, a university student at uh, Queen's University in Belfast in Northern Ireland, uh, I was approached by a young uh, law student who was an atheist who um, asked me, was I a believer? And if so, uh, why did I believe someone who couldn't get a miracle right the first time? Now, I was a new believer at the time, and um, I didn't know what he was talking about. And he pointed out the fact that in Mark's gospel, there's a story of uh, a blind man who came to Jesus for healing, and Jesus touched him, and he wasn't able to see clearly. He saw people, but they looked like trees, and he had to be touched a second time. And I had no answer for that law student. And I went to my pastor. I went to my youth leaders. I went to my church leaders. I, 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 and I asked, you know, uh, explain this to me. Why did Jesus get it wrong? 
when did he have to touch him a second time? And I couldn't, no one could answer that question adequately for me. And I just eventually, you know, I just, I let it go and um, forgot about it. Uh, I speed on several years, you know, after university and going to seminary, I'm sitting in the class of Bob Trainer, and he's teaching um, the inductive approach to the Gospel of Mark. And he comes across this passage and he shows within that passage why Mark included it. And I just, I remember sitting there uh, thinking to myself, this is the most amazing thing. You know, what he did basically was he, he pointed out how the, the writer had juxtaposed various paragraphs together, how Jesus had fed a multitude. And then the disciples were worried about, you know, who forgot the bread, who forgot to bring the bread on the boat. And Jesus said to them, you have eyes, don't you see properly? And then this story is introduced. And then after this story, Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. Now, it was interesting because none of the other gospel writers insert that story, but Mark does, and he does it in a unique, special way to convey the fact that the disciples had eyes, but they didn't see clearly like the blind man. He had eyes, but he saw people as trees. He needed a second touch to be healed perfectly, to see clearly. And then Jesus turns to Peter and Peter says, you're the Christ, he can see clearly. Now, the fact that Mark had juxtaposed that, had placed that in between, uh, we call it an incalation uh, within IBS methodology. Inserting that one little section, Mark conveyed the most profound question. There are times in our lives, even as believers, that we don't quite see clearly and we need a second touch. Peter got that second touch as did the blind man. So, I mean, that for me, I, I long to go back to Ireland to tell that young law student who was probably <laughs> a registered barrister at that point, you know, maybe a criminal lawyer, but, you know, just to be able to say there was a reason why Mark included that story. So it just kind of, that was kind of typical of so many new discoveries that I had as I sat under the tutelage of a master of inductive Bible study. And Joy, I guess you would uh, probably look at that and go, this is why we all need at least a second touch, if not more. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's true. Yes. Joy, have you found the IBS study to be rewarding? Oh, yes. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is a, a small group, a women's small group that I had the opportunity to lead for about five years. The group was very mixed. I mean, you had the range in age for it was like, you know, college age to grandmothers. And it was also very diverse spiritually. So there were new believers. And then there had been, you know, there was one woman in there who had been a Christian for going on 40 years. And that can be, I mean, that's a kind of a complicated (laughs) um, combination. And I remember one spring just kind of trying to figure out what am I going to do in the summertime with this group? The dynamics were so varied and wide. And it hit me like, duh, <laughs> why don't you introduce IBS? You're learning all these great things. The Bible's coming alive to you. You're learning that God wants to make God's self known. And there's no limit to that as far as new Christian versus veteran. And there's no limit to that in age. And I did that. But in addition to some of the things you could probably assume, um, because the inductive Bible study method for them did exactly what it had done for me. And it was really rewarding to see that. What was really ironic was that they were learning that they didn't need a seminary student like me <laughs> to to learn from the Bible. I was kind of debunking 
some of their presuppositions about the accessibility of the scriptures. It was it was just wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> what do you need? What do you think you need? Good good question. Very good question, Kip. Um, you need humility. Uh, you need a teachable spirit. You definitely need to believe that the Bible is authoritative and has something to teach you is the Word of God. And then you need the partnership of the Holy Spirit. But we're promised in Scripture that the, the Spirit's going to be with. I mean, when you become a Christian, you receive you know the Holy Spirit. And uh, they had, they came to the scriptures with that. And, you know, we did have a couple of holdouts. We had one lady in particular, I remember, um, she was one of the new believers and uh, she was by far the most hesitant. And I'll I'll just never forget the day that she walked into group excited (laughs) to be there and desiring to share how the Holy Spirit had shown up just as we had been talking about and led her to questions and discoveries. So rewarding. Part, part and parcel, I think, of one of the things that is desperately needed is open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. You know, because we the, the problem, of course, is that when we come to the Scriptures, we come as Presbyterians, or we come as Methodists, or we come as Baptists, or we come as Roman Catholics, or whatever, with preconceived denominational bias. Mm-hmm. Or we come with an understanding that a preacher, or a, or a Sunday school teacher, or a uh, a colleague in ministry or whatever has impressed upon us. Um, so, you know, to, to be able to divest oneself of that. You know, I often will say to my classes that what I'm going to teach you to do is become a Bible detective. Hmm. Let's consider for a moment a, a murder scene when a detective shows up. He doesn't just walk in, look around and walk out again, the way we often do with Scripture, you know. We just kind of read it and think, oh, that's nice, you know, that's a blessed little thought. And, the, and we leave, you know. The, the idea is that the detective will go and he will he will examine the body. He will examine the environment. He will look for evidence. He will look for traces of, of blood. He will examine. He will ask questions, you know. And I say that's what we're going to train you to do. I mean, in, in really to understand Scripture, you become a Bible detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look for evidence. Uh, you piece together the evidence. You look for traces of blood, whatever the case might be. I think going at it with the understanding that you don't have the answers, letting the Bible speak for itself. Joy, you would agree with me, wouldn't you, that this is one of the joys of inductive study? Mm, absolutely. I think, uh, Alan, you saying you look for traces of blood is really a poignant thought when you're looking for traces of blood, the blood of Jesus on this. Mm. Yeah. Final thing, Joy, as you look back on your personal spiritual life, can you see the impact of the inductive Bible study methodology there? Oh, absolutely. I really feel strongly that the inductive Bible study methodology is really intimately interwoven into the process of what it means on a day-to-day basis to think biblically and to think theologically. And when I say that, I don't mean you have to speak like a theologian. I mean, just watching the news or living your life, but doing that in a way that's thoughtful and theological. Hmm. I've mentioned that the Bible can and it does speak for itself. It's not a stale, stagnant text. And so any discipline built on that foundation is kind of designed to make an impact. I guess you can say that IBS has become a mindset for me, not just a methodology. It really deeply informs the so what questions of life that I ask and the ways that I process deep core convictions of the faith and who I believe God to be in desiring to be known, deeply, intimately known. It's just braided into the fabric of my experience of faith. That's really true. You know, when Joy talks about mindset, I mean, it really is true. It's it becomes part of your psyche. And, and you see it, you see it in everything. I mean, you know, I find that if, if I'm sitting in the pew and I'm listening to a preacher, 
you know, and my Bible is open on my lap. I'm already looking at, at the text and what he's saying from an inductive standpoint, which bothers my wife immensely. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because it adds a new dimension. When one goes to the cinema and watches a movie, one sees these same operative concepts that, that we utilize in inductive study being used by movie directors and storytellers. And when we read novels, when we read books, when we listen to the news, I mean, things that are juxtaposed. One quick example, I remember years ago, I was uh, watching BBC News and um, they were talking about a judge who had been, who had embezzled an enormous amount of money and he'd been put on probation. Now, the BBC kind of prided themselves in that they didn't give a biased account. They simply reported nudum factum. That's not entirely true, but, you know, but for the most part, I think they're better at it than most. <laughs> and then they just simply beside it, they told a story of a little beggar who stole an apple uh, who'd been uh, sent to prison for three years. And at first I thought, why would that, that make international news? And then, of course, it occurred to me why exactly they had done that. They had simply, they weren't making a commentary, but by placing those two, those two stories side by side, one can see inductively that they were communicating a message that they didn't think one was fair or the other one was fair by simply placing them together. And so when Joy talks about a mindset of inductive study, it really is true. It just, it informs everything you see and everything you do. But it is paramountly so vital in biblical studies. It just, I mean, it reminds me kind of, you know, the blind man who was quizzed by the Pharisees, who was healed by Jesus. And they said, uh, they quizzed him and they said, you know, who is this person and, and what happened and so forth. And he kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then finally he said, but there's one thing I do know. I once was blind and now I see. I think for me, and I suspect for Joy, and for many of us who have been engaged in inductive study, you know, we've read the Bible so many times, but all of a sudden now we see it in such a clear light that we never want to go back to studying it the old way. What would you suggest listeners go to to study this further, to look into inductive Bible study further? Um, go to your Bible. That, that would be my first word, Kip, and I don't mean that flippantly being able to open the scriptures and pay attention to the words and allow the scriptures to speak um, as I'm attentive to them. So I would encourage people to go to the word and become literate in the word. I mean, Joyce exactly correct. I mean, the Bible obviously is, is the basic textbook from which we work this entire process. As, as, as help aids, Bob Triana has written a book called Methodical Bible Study, and David Bauer has written a book called Inductive Bible Study. And we do have a journal of inductive Bible study that's available online. And I think our organization, The Word Is Out, is poised to, to help as much as possible in giving pointers and helping uh, people understand uh, how we approach the scriptures. And these podcasts, hopefully, are of use and help point people in the right direction. So the basic textbook is the scripture. That's where we start. But in understanding it, I mean, I think there are these uh, these things that can, can help as pointers uh, to understanding it better. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I often think that just by reading the word slowly, it makes such a big difference. I think often as Christians, the lay person looks at the Bible as something to conquer as opposed to allow it to speak. And so we read chapter after chapter or book after book and like, okay, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this yeah. instead of allowing it to speak to us. And mm -hmm. 
the moment I slow down and read it and consume it at a pace that is appropriate and try and allow the word to speak to me, the word speaks to me. One thing that I would really encourage people to do is instead of just reading a little passage here and a little passage there, if they could sit down, find a comfortable seat, a comfortable place, a quiet place, and read a book, an entire book. Um, I mean, most biblical books are quite short, relatively speaking. But when we read any other piece of literature, we don't, you know, you don't go to page 130 and then over to page 92 and then page 33 and then back to 110, you know, the way we do in the Bible. You know, you tend to start at the beginning and you read through to the end. So I think, you know, as a discipline, as a starting point, to try to get the understanding of the author in his totality is to start at the beginning of a book and read it through. I mean, I hope that's pretty self-evident. You know, you just start at the beginning and you read to the end. That would be a good starting point. You gave me that advice years ago about Revelation. Read it first, straight through, and then go back and read it slow. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. Might be more difficult with Isaiah, or as you like to say, Isaiah. <laughs> it's a bit longer. <laughs> Joy, Alan, thank you both. Uh, Speaking for myself, reading the Bible through the inductive lens has been hugely rewarding, and I see so much more of what God has to teach us that way. I hope this discussion proves just as illuminating to our listeners. Please be sure to come to us with your thoughts, comments, and questions, either on our Facebook page or directly via email at podcast at thewordisout.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with our next podcast soon.